0: Good morning. Good morning. We have gathered to worship the Lord our God. The call to worship this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 105. I've set it up responsively so that as I read a line, you can respond. It should show up both on the screen and online. Let us join together with one voice in this moment as we come to worship the living God with Psalm 105. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name. Make Him known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Let us stand and continue to sing our praise to God. Our help is in the name of God the Lord. Amen. Have a seat if you would. I'm always happy to extend greetings and a welcome. Those of you who've joined us on site that we might pray and worship together. Those who are participating by live stream or recording online. By the grace of God, he's gathering his people together. It is a beautiful day here in Michigan, in Holland, where we're worshiping. One of those great Holland winter days I got up this morning and Looked at the thermometer, it was 46 degrees and I was very relieved. And then I put on my glasses. <laughs> What's the decimal point among friends? <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it was one of those moments because when I first got up, the sun was down, it was dark, but the moon was full and bright, so bright it almost you know, blocks out the stars and the snow on the ground. It reflects and is so light. It's a great time to be together and to be together in the Lord and to extend prayers of thanksgiving for good builders who made me a warm house and a warm, dry place to worship God. We're together as God's people, and I'm glad we can do that and celebrate that. Um, In the email that we send out each week, I hope you've gotten uh, information and able to keep up. One thing I want to highlight is we're starting a new series of small discussion groups on Wednesday night uh, using the book Scandalous Stories. This goes along with the sermon series that Aaron and JB and I are doing, looking at uh, particular parables. So what we're going to do is we'll preach on a parable, and then on Wednesday night, there'll be opportunities to read a chapter of this book related to that parable. We had a great turnout this past Wednesday, so we're going to add more sections, we would call it, so that everybody has a place where they can gather and um, be known, feel welcome, uh, not so overcrowded. We're also interested, Darwin wants to experiment with how do we do this at other times and other places. So if Wednesday night doesn't work out for you, but you think, you know, I'd be willing to give that a try, let me know and let's let's see what the Lord opens up with this. Can we work together on that? Does that sound good? So we'll do this, we'll be adding sections, There's also other volunteer needs. I've understood Wednesday that as folks are headed out for the winter, we need some other volunteers for Wednesday night, things like that. Just be aware and let's find a place. I'll tell you a little before we pray about a great reminder I had this week of how ministry is not about your minister. It's about God working through the grace-gifted body of Christ. I have much more confidence in God's ability to make himself known through you and my place in it. I mean, I've got a role. I understand that. But it's us together that makes God known in great ways. Um, our online contact card. If you'd like to get the email that goes out weekly that I mentioned to you or have contact with me or uh, share a prayer request, simply text CONNECT, the the word CONNECT, to that number, and you'll get a form. We'll let you do that. We want to look for safe and good ways to bridge with folks and continue relationship. Um, For the month of... January, we are using question two of the Heidelberg Catechism as a confession of faith. So set in your mind, Catechism question one, um, which we would have stated, and following that immediately comes this question and answer. I'll refer to it in the sermon even. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort, namely, that I am not my own but belong to Jesus Christ? Three things— First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Let all things now living. Let's give praise to the Lord our God. Seat. We have a lot to pray about and seek the Lord for. Um, just preparing for this morning, I was reminded that within the, uh, relate, the community of celebration, we've had four spouses experience uh, the death of a spouse. Four people experienced the death of their spouse. Two, death of a close family member, a brother. Uh, folks who've had hard diagnosis were particularly praying, and i Appreciate being able to point this out. I've talked with um, the family, but we're praying for the, with the Evenhouse family for a daughter, granddaughter, Brianna, who continues to be in a really difficult medical situation. So we seek the Lord in this. It's a time that could be easily overwhelming, particularly for performance-oriented, hardworking, Germanic kind of guys like me. So let me tell you about the grace of God through his people. I went to bed one day last week since we last met, having not accomplished everything on my checklist. I'd set aside those things in the morning like I do. I want to make sure I touch base, do, do this, take care of that. And I remember laying in bed thinking, well, I won't tell you exactly what I thought because I had to repent of that. But I realized I'd given it at everything I had, and I was tired, and I hadn't gotten to everything I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. The next day, before I could get back to that list, I got a call, and they would want to be anonymous. So I'm going to do this. But I'll tell you, it was a snowbird. It was somebody who's not even in Ottawa County. They called me up and said, Pastor Bill, how are you doing? Tough time. We're praying for you. And we just began to talk about that and where I'm finding encouragement and what we're seeing God do. And in the course of that conversation, they mentioned, oh, yeah, yesterday I spoke with. And I want to tell you, everybody that I felt bad about not contacting the night before had been called by that person who's not even in Ottawa County. So I want to tell you, I'm giving you everything I got, but that's never going to be enough. That's why I point to Jesus, and that's why I want you to find your grace gift where God is at work in your life and how you live that out because God's adequacy for our lives is never going to be from me or from you. It's always going to be from him, but you'll see it in the body. The body of Christ can make Jesus known better than the Domini. See where we're going with this? Together. So let's pray together. I may mention a few things, but because we're live streamed, I won't mention everything. We do that as a matter of discretion, usually in contact with families and such. So let's pray, and I'll give you a place to pray in the silence of your hearts. We're in this together brothers and sisters in Christ, let's pray. Father, what a time and what a moment we are living in. Were we alone, we would feel overwhelmed, and rightly so. But by your grace, we choose to repent of denial, to look and to see what we can see with our eyes, because you've given us the Holy Spirit, and you've said you will not leave us as orphans, You will give us the comforter, the advocate, the one you named Holy Spirit, to guide and lead and give us those things. So even as you guide and lead us, so uh, distribute the gifts of the Spirit through the body of Christ that we might do ministry in the power of the Spirit, using those gifts, um, also bearing fruit, the character, the personality of Jesus in our lives together. And so make Jesus known. Remind us of the good news as we pray for one another and care for one another. Invite a community to the cross. Thank you that you're with us in these times. We pray for Hardaway, Father, that you've placed us here now for more than a century to make Jesus known and the gospel as your power to save and transform. Continue to guide us. Be with the council as we meet Monday, the staff and leaders as we ponder what next steps you're calling us to. I pray for my friend Pastor Aaron, that as he preaches in watershed, that you might in, anoint and guide him, be with that worshiping community. And my fan, friend Pastor JB, thank you for that we get to work and pray together. Be with him and as he was, shares your word with the worshiping community in Fusion, right next door. Again, be present. And for Pastor Florencio and Mission that will be worshiping you in the Spanish language right in this space in just a few hours, we give you thanks. Father, uh, we pray for celebration, the, this portion of your kingdom where you've placed us. And we pray, first of all, I want to pray medical needs that we see uh, where there's been a hard diagnosis or Jim, or Bill, or Helene, for others, Father, I want to pray very specifically and ask you to, to just join with a silent amen for Brianna and for those who care for her. Lord God, you tell us to ask, to seek, and to ask, and to knock, that there's something that we learn in relationship with you when we ask that we won't learn if we don't ask. And so we ask, be healing grace. I give her lungs, strength and function, kidneys, these things we see and know. Be with the medical staff that must feel overwhelmed in this moment of the Omicron surge. But Holy Spirit, uh, be present for Brianna, even now where her mom and dad can't be. Be deep and powerful. And we pray for tomorrow when the first opportunity for them to visit uh, with her will come. Make that way clear. Now we look at you, Lord God, and because we're deeply loved, fully adopted children of yours, we say, Daddy, please. We have a friend who has a need. So we come to you, Daddy. Daddy. And we thank you that we can trust you with all our requests, gracious Father. So guide us, help us walk this journey, whatever it may be. So we pray for Brianna. I'm going to give you a moment to just pray uh, for hard diagnoses, folks in your own circle of friends with particular needs. Father, there has been grief in our midst as well, all those who are walking through the grief of the passing of a spouse or parent or family member. uh, We thank you that we know when we see death that it is the final enemy that has been conquered by Jesus at the cross, and so even in our loss, we're reminded that this is not the last word. Make that an encouragement to hearts. Uh, help the, the Holy Spirit grow up in our hearts of words of gratitude and thankfulness as we look on what we've lost and over our past, but look forward with uh, the fruit of hope. Be comfort and hope and guidance, provision in deep ways. Father, I, I'm reminded that this is a... a time of national celebration for uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. We remember his life and his ministry. I thank you for this fellow pastor who was used by you in great and marvelous ways. And I pray that you would raise up godly leadership. We pray for leadership um, week by week. This week, we, in our cycle, we pray for the federal level of leadership. And so we name and lift to you President Biden and Vice President Harris, Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, area representatives Bill Heisinger, Peter Ma- Meyer, and Fred Upton, and for the Supreme Court, those nine justices and the subcourts below them, we pray, Father, that in this challenging time, you'd raise up leadership that you can guide and use. Thank you that you promise us that your grace for us is bigger than even the institutions of worldly leadership. And so we look finally to you. And Father, we pray for missionaries and for the word that goes out near and far from Hardaway and other churches. This morning I pray very specifically for uh, Pastor Wang Yi who's imprisoned in China. We've prayed for him and talked with him and as I come to think of him again this morning in the sermon. We pray for the gospel in that nation. Now, Lord Jesus, the good news is this, that in a broken world, we live with a redemptive discontent. Yes, there is unremitting ache and heaven-authored craving, but it's good news because our inward groans are an expression of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, the first installment and guarantee of the magnificent future that you have won for us at the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, thank You that we, and every person we will ever meet, are image-bearers of You. We all carry the DNA of the Garden of Eden, though it has been corrupted by sin. Thank You that Your answer to our brokenness was never, work harder or be better, but instead trust me and receive by faith my grace gift of adoption. In Christ, we are deeply loved, fully adopted children of your forever family, O Father. With that hope, we find ourselves yearning for your promised eternity of all things new, not one thing broken, and every relationship whole and loving. But alongside this good news of the gospel, there is also the daily news of this planet. This planet that awaits your completion of your great plan, we want what you've promised now, not later. From life's backseat, we keep asking, when are we going to get there? Hallelujah for your kindness and patience, Heavenly Father. You aren't slow keeping your promises. Rather, you are merciful, extending your grace to our neighbors and to the nations until the day of your return. It's easy for us to forget that we matter to You, but that we are not the only point of the entire history of redemption as well. Help us hold those in balance. Jesus, until the day, don't decrease our spirit groaning. Instead, increase our trust-filled waiting. Rescue us quickly when we look to mere people, more money, or medicated pain to satisfy our heavenly ache." Father, hear your people as with one voice and one heart we cry out, just as Jesus taught us, saying this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue in installment number two of our sermon series, Scandal of Grace. Um, And what we're doing is looking at the... um, looking at the parables of Jesus we'll take eight of them and we want to try to dig in with fresh eyes you know often we kind of reduce these parables to kind of moralistic fables of what we should do uh, how to be better people but again and again if we'll really dig in we'll see I think that Jesus is kind of scratching us to awaken us and make us think about the importance of grace the parables teach us about the king and his kingdom So, this morning, we're going to look at a short one. Um, It's Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, but I want to set for you the um, context. Right before what we'll read and what I'll preach from, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath, and then he challenges the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who get upset with that. So, Luke writes uh, this in verse 17. He writes, when Jesus said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. So that's what happens. Now, let's pick up with verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Uh, it, it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour, more than she needed for her next meal. She must have been expecting guests. 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Uh, let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we give you thanks for your kindness to us, that you yourself entered the human condition, Lord Jesus, and you took upon yourself our sin, and that you conquered all the consequences of sin, you put to death, death itself. In the course of that teaching, you have instructed us on what we need to know to live by grace. And you've had that recorded across centuries through a variety of authors. In the putting together of this book, all of which finds its meaning centrally in you. And so now, as the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to gather this story from eyewitnesses, to record it, and then as it has been preserved across centuries, we open it, translate, study, consider. But apart from you, Holy Spirit, who can illumine our hearts and minds, convict our hearts, clarify our confusion, guide our footsteps, apart from you, we would be left in our own brokenness. So complete your work this day, bigger than the preacher, meet your people, guide us, give us hope, and fill us in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. This is a parable, but it's set in the literary form, if you will, in terms of form. It's a, it's a proverb. It kind of gives us a general truth about life and reality to be applied where it applies under the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not so much an absolute statement about biology. Oh, this is the size of mustard seed. It's instead a statement to look at the world that God has made, see him at work, and live wisely. It's proverbial wisdom, something we all know but need to be reminded of. Small things become big things. That's the point of both of these parables. Small things become big things. Here we go. In the previous event, I wanted to point that out because a big thing happens. There's a woman who's been crippled. She's been crippled by a demonic spirit for 18 years, it says. And Jesus sets her free with a statement. She stands up. She's walking. She is free to live life. That's a big event. But Jesus immediately then invites people to ponder these two parables. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Big events like this deliverance? Well, that's part of it, sure. But remember, little things get big, and they get big over time. We need to stop and ponder this truth, that things that seem insignificant at one point, over time, have a way of becoming very, very significant. Things will breathe on those little events and suddenly they're big. Our mind begins to focus. Our hearts are distracted and more and more what was just a small passing thing becomes that, that, that hangnail that you just can't quite let go of. Insignificant things become significant over time and we need to be aware of that. These things happen over time. And boy, it can make an extraordinary difference. Pastor Aaron has a great term for this. As he focuses there in Watershed, we are often like the crowd. We are infatuated with the impressive. We see the impressive and that must be good enough. We see the unimpressive and think, oh, move past that. What can that mean? Small things grow into big things. Now, there are different arenas of life that we can see these proverb parables working out in our own world. The first one is this. We need to see that these things work out in God's world. God's work in the world is one place that they work their way out. I'm reminded in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 10. There's a particular event, it's around the rebuilding of the temple after the Babylonian exile, after the captivity, and after the return to the promised land. They begin to rebuild the temple, but it's not like it used to be. Oh, I remember that temple, how can this temple be as good? Listen, I'll just read some verses from Zechariah. Then the spirit said to me, this is the word of Yahweh, the Lord, to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the guy who was building Jerusalem again from the rubbable. That's how I remember, Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubbable, and he's building this temple. You see, you thought I was smart. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the capstone with shouts of grace, grace, grace. Then the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of Hosts has sent me to you, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice, and you shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel." Things start small, but they become big. The people of God are now home from captivity. The past century of time has been hard, but it's moved exactly as God intended and promised. Sin will be met with judgment. That brings a punishment and restoration. The temple is being rebuilt, but it seems so slow, so hard, so much less than what we remember. It's never as good as the old folks remember in those good old days. But you know what? In a few centuries time, God himself will walk through that temple. Jesus, God the Word made flesh, will walk through this temple, that's a is building. Now I want a, a little mental exercise here. I want to show you a graph, and we may need to make that full computer for the live stream. We'll just show it for a minute. Look at that graph. What do you think that graph represents? Any thoughts? I saw it, and I was wishing that was a graph of my retirement fund. <laughs> no such luck. But clearly, and I'm going to go back to it on this, uh, clearly, that's what it looks like. Something happened. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It starts, the bottom line is a date, and the start is 1949. So in 1949, there was that, and by 1985, there was the next dot. But look at the dot after that. That's about 2005. Something happened. What do you think that was? What is that graph of? I'll tell you this. That is a graph of the Protestants in China. That is a graph of the Protestants in China in our lifetime. You've got it in your bulletin and you can see that. Oh, it seems so insignificant. Look at what God is doing in the world. I want to read to you. I got this graph, and you can get it from a number of places. Numbers in China are difficult to sort through because the government tells you one thing, people on the ground know another thing. You've got to sort through all that. But this is from uh, The Economist, September 15, 2020, is where I got that particular graph. That's the one I wanted to use. Protestant Christianity is probably the fastest growing faith in China with at least 38 million adherents today. That's above 3% of the population. Up from 22 million a decade ago, according to the government's count alone. The true number is probably much higher. Perhaps as many as 22 million more Chinese Protestants worship in unregistered underground churches. So that graph may undersell... The dramatic increase. Think about that. As China also has 10 to 12 million Catholics, there are more Christians in China today than in France or Germany. Combined, Christians and the other large religious group, Muslims, they may now outnumber the membership of the Communist Party. Indeed, an unknown number of party members go to church as well as local committee meetings. Now, I want to suggest to you something. Few people have wrestled with that, but that is the mustard seed of God at work in our world. Is there any wonder now why China has begun to persecute the church? Because it's a growing competition for their power. Why would they send a million Muslim wagers to concentration camps? The threat. I want to tell you, Jesus-focused Christianity has always been a threat to the powers of the world. This is no Marxist workers' paradise. This is one oppressive power that wants to resist the power of hope and grace. Friends, I want to tell you, God's work in the world starts small. Who would have thought that a a backwater country, Israel, at the turn of time, a person would be executed and change history? The kingdom of God starts as a mustard seed and as yeast. But we need to be warned as well because the second way we see this play out is with sin in our world or in our life. Yeast is used elsewhere in the stories of Jesus. Luke 12, 1, we read this. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, big event, He began to say to his disciples, speaking to those who were committed and followers, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Friends, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He let this be a word for me and for you personally. I need to hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking conviction and calling me to repentance in my prayer closet. This is not exhorting me to stand up and speak truth to power. Oh, that statement, the kind of public self-righteous spotlight on me speaking for attention. No, I need to beware the yeast of sin. Beware, sin starts small, an attitude of the heart. Resolute unforgiveness of another person. But like yeast, it will grow to a size that robs and kills and destroys. I've recently been listening to a podcast by the magazine uh, Christianity Today. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's kind of a look back and wondering analysis, a self-reflection of a church in Seattle, that went from zero to 16,000 people attending on multiple campuses, and then disappeared in a matter of months. How does that happen? You, you can look back and kind of learn through self-examination. It's been hard, the kind of ego, the kind of unaccountable power, the kind of justifying what can't be justified, but justifying it because it works, So many people, it must be right. No. Small things, small compromises over time become big. The list of this could go on and on, friends. Self-sufficiency. Now, in the circles that I run in, self-sufficiency is hardly considered a sin. But when it covers up and is a polite way to say, I don't want to be a bother to anyone, or I don't want to have to depend on other people, or I don't need anyone else to kind of realize I'm struggling, I want to tell you that's a different path than the gospel of grace. Yes, I understand that the grace calls me to be fruitful and productive, and out of that fruitfulness will come enough for me. And over what's needed for me enough to be generous. But how many of us have found ourselves making small compromises to accumulate more because we don't want to be dependent on anyone else? John Rockefeller had some insight. How much money is enough? A little bit more. That's a good sign that you've stepped out of the gospel. How much money is enough? They'll never be enough, but my Jesus is enough. See the difference between those two roads? Self-sufficiency as a fruit of God at work to empower generosity is one thing. As a root of how we live our lives will bring death. There's so many different ways this plays out. I see a forgiveness without the cross. I went to a great college, got a great education, A church related college, but a church related college that taught me that the death and resurrection of Jesus was a powerful and moving idea, but not an event in history. I want to tell you, friends, I don't care who tells you that, that's a fork in the road. It's just a little thing to, well, be moved by the faith of their statement. No, I want to tell you that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is as historical as the death and non-resurrection of John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. Jesus was God in the flesh who was killed in the flesh by people like me. And the good news is he was raised begin to alter that, and before long, that college is no longer related to the church, and that church has lost 65% of its membership in my lifetime. Little things over time bear big fruit. Forgiveness without the cross will call people to act from shame and not gratitude. I recently read a book. They talk so much about the the sin in our culture, the sin of racism, I'll say. And they pressed guilt and shame, guilt and shame, guilt and shame, guilt and shame. Now go do something. And I want to tell you, whenever we do something out of guilt and shame... We will fall short. We've left the gospel. One of the reasons I deeply appreciate Dr. Martin Luther King, I encourage you to read his book, Why We Can't Wait. Dr. King was a pastor. He stood in front of people like I do you. And he invited them to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. He would make altar calls. And he would baptize people who'd made a profession of faith. And so it is, this book, here's a thought experiment for you. Read this book and then read any current book on racial justice and the problem of racism in the United States and ask yourself, what's the difference? The gospel. You see, if you get people to act, even to act against sin out of shame, it'll always come back to bite you. Just like a Christianity without the incarnation. Oh, Jesus is a wonderful teacher and a prophet. No. He is that, but he's more. He's God in the flesh, like my little college saw. Friends, the good news, and I wanted to save this to the end, we come back to the text, is that little things matter. Grace in our life and in the world. It's like a mustard seed. And so the scripture calls us to cultivate the mustard seed of God's grace. Make sure you're planting good seed. I'm so thankful you're here because I take that as you taking the good first step. You're here, whether on site or online. And I want to tell you, I'm giving my life that you might hear the gospel of God's grace and the kingdom of God. That is God's work changing us to be salt and light where he would place us. But it's God's work. We need to be deeply invested in God's word faithful Christian beliefs. We come here, it's good to, to get uncatechized from the catechisms of our world. When you come here, we'll get the Heidelberg catechism, not the Disney catechism. Or the 24-hour news channel catechism. Or the catechism of expressive individualism. I could go on and on. You see, we need to like Jesus says here, need the yeast of God's grace throughout. That means repenting of those seeds we end up planting that are sin. Who is there in your life? What's the process in your life by which the Holy Spirit can identify unforgiveness, residual anger, self-righteousness, pride, and bring you to forgiveness? If you're not involved in that, Expect it to grow. Cultivate God's grace. Repent of that seed of sin. It was a great lesson for me, and I've learned it from any number of gospel-centered teachers, that when it comes to the gospel, we do not need more added to the gospel. Well, the gospel is where you begin, and then you begin to add this law. No, the gospel, we don't need more added to it. We instead need the gospel in every aspect of life. It's not come to faith in Jesus, then obey Bible law for your marriage. It's come to faith in Jesus by grace, and then see how that grace will change your marriage. If you were to take a Bible and underline every passage that spoke about marriage, you would miss the power that God has for your marriage. Because as God's people, we get to bring the gospel to our marriage. We get to bring the gospel to our businesses. We get to bring the gospel to our relationships. And it may start small, but it grows big. I love the historical story of John Newton, abandoned and a broken family. He heads out to sea and eventually rises to become, you probably know the story, the captain of a slave trading ship. We remember him now for the hymn Amazing Grace, and he wrote so many marvelous hymns and expressions of poetry. How do you get from slave captain to Amazing Grace? Well, after he gave his life to Christ, do you know what he did for the next three years? he continued as a slave-trading captain. But the grace of God had been planted in his heart. He began to dwell in the Word. He began to be discipled. And eventually, he would turn from that. Eventually, he would communicate the gospel as he meditated and grew rich in it and began to communicate the gospel of God's grace in hymns like Amazing Grace. And he began to disciple a young man close to him named William Wilberforce. See, what began as a mustard seed in John Newton's heart shaped his ministry, and his ministry shaped a man, William Wilberforce, who in 1807 was the leading member of parliament who, after decades, helped the British Empire abolish slavery, 1807. What is a commitment to Christ on a slave-trading ship? Oh, it's a mustard seed. It's yeast. But over time history has changed. What are the seeds growing up in your life? What fruit will they bear over time? Like God said to the prophet Zechariah, the capstone, Jesus, shall be placed, shout grace, grace, grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God and Father, how desperately we need your grace how fully we need to learn to rest in you. I ask that this day, as you've promised to meet us at the table, that you minister your grace carefully and powerfully. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Time moves, but I want to continue as we've planned to sing verses 1 and 3. We are going to move to communion and to the table, and so it's important that everybody get the individual communion cups, and that means somebody's going to need to bring me one um, since I got started and organized without that. But as we let's remain seated. We'll sing, and Christine will identify anybody who needs the communion uh, service and take care of us that way. Alrighty. On the night in which he was betrayed, Paul writes, the Lord Jesus took bread. It was the Passover bread, and it was a time for the head of household where this meal was taking place. It was a time when that head of household would recount the miracle of God to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. And after he had reminded them of this story, he gave thanks and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. In the same way, after supper, Jesus would have taken the cup and said, this cup is now a new covenant in my blood. Typically, that's the moment where again, the head of household reminds them that a lamb was slain and its blood put on the Passover, put on the, the lintel post, the posts. That blood meant life and Jesus said this is now a new covenant in my blood in this way Jesus took everything they'd known about God's deliverance in the Passover and he made it about himself that happened to point to what we now understand as the death and resurrection of Jesus for whenever you eat the, this cup is now a new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy or in a, uh, inappropriate manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. We ought to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink of the cup. Now, friends, let me always make clear, particularly in our context this day, that we don't examine ourselves to see if we are worthy to participate. We examine ourselves to see, are we coming by way of faith in Jesus? There's a difference. I want to tell you, I'm a sinner and I'm coming to the table because I need God's grace. But if I'm a sinner in denial who's coming because I've kept the rules or I've met the standard or I think highly of myself, Paul would warn us. Do you see the difference in that? Sometimes I want to, at communion, say, let the worst sinners come first. But most folks are far too humble to think that they're the worst. We come here because we're broken, but we come here because we trust in him. And so Jesus Uh, speaks to us and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I come not on my own performance, but at the invitation of his grace. Uh, Let's pray. Father, take this, which is very simple. The world just sees bread and, and juice. But make these, by the promise of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, make these to be means of your grace where you plant a seed that will overcome our anger, that will empower us to live with forgiveness, that will bear the fruit of generosity and of kindness, the fruit of joy and of love. So though we see this as simple, we look through it as it were to you, the great giver of these gifts. We give you thanks by the promise of your written word and by the presence of your spirit. Meet us here, we pray, as we remember your son, his death and his resurrection. Amen and amen. Now, before we partake uh, in terms of COVID and safety, this has become kind of a challenge, hasn't it? So let's just admit it. With the one cup that you should alone have touched, there's a thin layer just over the top of it that will get a wafer like this. Take a moment, and some of you may need to help someone else if they're unable to get that. uh, Make sure we're able to take care of one another in this way, but take the wafer. This is the body of Christ which is broken for you. Take and eat. Pardon my reflection on this moment, but in the same way after supper, Jesus took this little cup and he only opened the little foil lid about halfway. <laughs> um, so you want to be careful, but you can peel that second layer back and and get to the cup. You know what's wonderful? What what matters in this moment is not the means, but the promise. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink ye all of it. Let's pray. Jesus, help us never to be despisers of small beginnings, to see our life and think that's not enough. Help us instead look to the cross which is you yourself doing what we could never do and offering to us by your grace that we receive by our faith more than we could ever ask or imagine. Begin something in us this day that only you in your power can finish. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand and sing, close this moment by singing to the glory of God, summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Let us stand. Before I give you the benediction, uh, there'll be garbage cans at the back and in the hallway here. It'd be helpful if you'd take your communion uh, cup and drop that off there as we have a moment for fellowship. I will not be meeting with our q a this Sunday, forgot to mention that, so much happening and not happening. But our prayer is this from the book of Numbers. This was the blessing given to Israel through the course of its history that would have been on the lips of Jesus. Now for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen. <laughs>